Remember to check out episode 11 where we talk to Ken from Gemini Shippers Group about the demand curve and where ocean freight is going. This is Two Babes Top Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Welcome to another exciting show for Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. Today we are getting into one of the most talked about topics, Incoterms. Nick Morrow from Hampton Products is going to tell us why we are all using the terms FCA and FOB incorrectly. So let's get started. Nick Morrow, currently the Director of Global Supply at Hampton Products. This role includes managing the procurement team, supplier relationships, and audits, and, ma- and the managing the logistics and contracts for over a thousand containers a year. Nick also oversees the compliance department, which deals with all government agencies for Hampton's imports and manages the inbound logistics department, ensuring goods get received and put away in inventory as quickly and accurately as possible. Hampton Products, located in Southern California, is an importer and wholesaler of home goods spanning multiple categories, including home and security, lighting, padlocks, door hardware, screen and storm door, and cargo management. Brands include Brinks, Brinks Home Security, Wright Products, Universal Hardware, Keeper, and many other private label brands you see in all the box retailers today. Before Hampton Products, Nick was with various freight forwarding companies in the Los Angeles area. Prior to that, he was working in operations and sales for both high-end retail and consumer goods. He has lived in Mexico and Germany, but currently lives in Southern California. He is a licensed U.S. Customs Broker, a certified supply chain professional, a certified global business professional. He serves on the board of the Southern California Chapter of the Council of Supply Chain Management, and he is an advisory committee to the Orange County Center for International Trade Development, where he is currently developing a six-week import compliance class for local businesses sponsored by the state of California. And he likes Incoterms. So we have been looking forward to this conversation for a couple of weeks. So welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for coming on Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. That was quite the intro. You've you've got quite a quite a diverse background in the industry. So let's get right to it. For our audience, what are incoterms and why are they important? So incoterms or international commerce terms uh, is actually established and regulated by the International Chamber of Commerce. Um, in 1923, they actually first published kind of what was uh, really just a study to understand the differences in interpretation between trade terms between the different countries. Uh, and then in 1936, they actually published their first version of Inco terms. It was only six terms. Today, there's 11. Um, it was only six terms at the time. Uh, since 1923, they've actually done revisions approximately every 10 years, uh, and each revision adds or deletes specific trade terms really designed to reflect what the current international modes of transportation are of the day. Um, the main goal of an INCO term is really just to indicate the shipping responsibilities between the buyer and the supplier 
and also indicates where the risk of loss transfers. Um, and this is different than the transfer of title, which I'll get into uh, a, little, a little later on in the, in, in the interview. Um, but what's most important is, uh, is this differentiation between where the risk of loss transfers um, and, and the responsibilities that the buyer and the supplier have for payments and arrangements of the, of the international shipments. Yeah, I think eco-terms are, are very underestimated. And uh, I, I think that they're essential to the negotiation. Uh, would you say the negotiation between, you know, when you're with your supplier and yourself before you even, you know, even almost take a look at product? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's also important to understand which terms you're really going to be using and to understand um, what those terms mean because they're going to have different cost implications uh, for both you and your, you know, your respective buyer or supplier, whomever you're dealing with. Yeah, and, and for today's show, um, we're specifically looking at the terms FOB versus FCA. So what are those terms exactly? So FCA stands for free to carrier and FOB means free on board. Um, part of the history of the INCO terms and one of the revisions was in 1980, uh, the term FRC, which was the first term for free-to-carrier, was introduced. Um, this was basically a recognition by the trade community, more specifically the International Chamber of Commerce, uh, that since the standardization of containers, goods weren't actually being received by the ocean carrier once they were received over the rail, which is what free on board typically dictated. Um, but rather, with containers, um, the receipt point happens at the carrier terminal, not on board the vessel. So the relevant point for the transfer of risk is actually where the carrier receives it, not where it's loaded on the vessel or crosses the ship's rail, which you, which you hear so common. Um, and this is specifically because it's the buyer's chosen carrier once the supplier delivers it to the terminal of the buyer's chosen carrier, that's where the risk of transfer should should stop. Now, in the 1990 version of the INCO terms, um, the FRC term was changed to what's known today as FCA. Um, so the main difference is free to carrier means you're delivering the goods to the terminal, and free on board means that the buyer is responsible for physically getting the cargo onto the boat, which is actually pretty pretty impossible if you're dealing with containers because shippers aren't responsible for operating the gantry cranes. Right. Um, could you give us an example of why getting those terms correct, FOB and FAC, um, is so important in your blog? You kind of already, oh, sorry, FCA. Uh, you kind of already explained that. But... In your blog title, it states that the Hanjing bankruptcy can screw you. Could you explain this in more detail and how these terms could have an effect with the bankruptcy of Hanjing? Yeah, so there, there's actually a couple examples I can give you to illustrate the points. Um, with, with Hanjing being the most recent, um, the, uh, the article actually talked about a shipper and buyer relationship where the, the buyer wanted to use the term FOB, and the shipper, of course, wanted to use FCA. Now, the container was loaded, or excuse me, the goods were loaded into a Hanjin container. This was the buyer's choice. They said, hey, we want you to load it into a Hanjin container because our responsibility is paying for the ocean freight. So the supplier said, great, 
jam it into a hydrogen container, we'll deliver it to the port. At that point, the supplier's obligation should have been completed. Wiped their hands of it, they delivered it to the agreement. Well, the very next day, Hanjin goes into bankruptcy, and this particular container is never going to get loaded. So what happens? Um, the buyer thinks that they're operating under FOB terms, meaning that the seller is technically supposed to have responsibility until it gets on board the boat, but the uh, seller says, no, 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 this was your chosen carrier. We fulfilled our obligation once we delivered it to the terminal. So you can just imagine what kind of conversation you know between a buyer and a supplier could have in that situation. Now take for also example, uh, a couple of years ago, the, the Tianjin port explosion um, outside of Beijing. Um, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of goods and automobiles were destroyed. Um, if, you know, if there was any miscommunication or misunderstanding or improper usage of those incoterms, there is going to be a lot, or there was actually, a lot of disputes on who was responsible for that risk, that loss of cargo. Uh, same thing with the Japanese tsunami. Um, wiped out the, uh, the Sendai terminal in Japan. How much of those goods were delivered under FOB terms when it was really FCA terms? And who was who was left holding the bill with that? So in your Hanjin really in your Hanjin example, um, what was sort of the outcome of those discussions? Did it end up being that because it was FOB and the buyer's choice that it was their responsibility, or or how did that play out? Well, I mean, this is a hypothetical situation, and I'm sure that there's many instances that all have different outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, Perhaps, you know, the seller was able to convince the buyer that this is what should have happened. Um, you know, I'm sure that the buyer and the seller agreed to reloading the container. I mean, they had to get the goods one way or the other. So what, was, what would theoretically have to happen is the container would come out and then have to be rebooked. So who's going to pay for those costs? And depending on whatever the relationship between that supplier and the buyer are, I mean, maybe they split the costs, maybe someone actually accepted it. Um, I'm sure each situation is different. Yeah, so even having an INCO term associated to that transaction, there are still, I guess, we can say that there are some, maybe some gray areas where, because you're saying that, you know, it's FOB and, and it would be under that INCO term, the buyer's responsibility, but maybe the supplier will split those costs? Yes, only because in my example, um, there wasn't, there wasn't an agreement in place, uh, so there wasn't an understanding right. from the beginning okay. on what the INCO terms were. So if so they had if those were laid out properly, yeah, then there would there wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been any issues or gray areas had they both agreed on and were using INCO terms properly. Okay, so in that example, using that example, um, and let's say the negotiated term was FCA, um, what would have happened in that instance? So in that instance, uh, what would have happened is the supplier would still have to go ahead and cancel the export declaration that they would have done. The supplier would have then had to take the, the container out of the port, rebook a new container, reload the goods into that new container, and deliver it back to the port. However, the buyer would have been responsible for those additional costs. 
Okay, so in FOB terms, in this hypothetical situation, um, the buyer would be responsible once the container was delivered to port to try to make other arrangements. Let's say in this in this Hanjin example. Um, so in FCA e terms, that would be on the FCA terms. So if it's FOB terms, the buyer is responsible for what exactly? So here's actually part of part of the problem with the the misunderstanding between FCA and FOB uh, in. 1980, when the, the free-to-carrier term was first introduced, um, it was a recognition, like as I mentioned before, of the containerization. Um, FOB is not really a valid term for containers anymore, specifically because buyers are not responsible for loading the goods onto right. the boat. Right. FOB is now more reserved for um, bulk cargo or project cargo, you know, something that's oversized where the supplier will physically have to hire a crane or a team to lash down the goods. Um, or for example, if uh, automobiles, if they're responsible for driving the cars onto the actual vessel themselves. Um, so that's where the biggest misconception between FCA and FOB arises is that FOB shouldn't even be used for containerized cargo. Okay, because in my experience, a lot of people use FOB and then, you know, a, a city or a port or, or... So even in that instance, especially when it comes to, I guess, ocean freight, it shouldn't be used? That is correct. Um, and the practice, unfortunately, FOB was one of the original terms. So the problem is just that it's it's got a rooted history. And unfortunately, since 1980, it's really just been misused uh, simply because of the frequency of its, of its use before. Yeah, because, and I also find this um, between Canada and the U.S. Um, if there's, and they use the term FOB, um, but they put a, a city beside it. So let's say they are selling, to, they're a U.S. company and they're selling to a, to Canadians or to a Canadian company and they're using the term FOB Toronto. So, and I know a lot of companies are using that, so they're definitely using it incorrectly. So what would be an alternative to that? Uh, so, well, a couple things. Um, it depends on what in Toronto they're doing. Um, are they delivering it to the Toronto you know, distribution center of this particular company? Yes. And who's responsible for paying the duties and taxes? So. The, the two options that I use that we use for our international shipments that are that are going via truck, you know, crossing into into Canada or back and forth between the U.S. are either DAP, which stands for delivery at place, and what that means is that the supplier is responsible for transportation from the point of point of departure to the final destination. However, the buyer is responsible for any kind of duties and taxes and customs formalities. Um, the other option for that would be DDP, which is delivery duties paid, in which case the supplier, not only are they responsible for the transportation from start to finish, the supplier would also then be responsible for doing any customs formalities and paying any duties. 
Okay. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I know that it's going a little bit off topic from the FCA versus the FOB, but I do know that the FOB term gets thrown around a lot um, with transactions between the U.S. and Canada, and I was just wondering what those alternatives were. were. So that that's really great. See, and in the last year, Sarah, I've actually been seeing a lot more direct duty um, paid shipments than anything else. Um, it kind of changed in the last probably two years, I would say, before the year just because doing all the ocean clearances and stuff. Um, Nick, I got a question for you on um, your thoughts on cargo insurance. Uh, It's kind of a two-part question. Could you just explain to us, um, would you use insurance on both FCA and FOB shipments, or would you only recommend insurance on one of those kind of terms, or how would you go with insurance? So insurance isn't covered in INCO terms except for two situations. Um, in which both case the supplier is responsible for getting the insurance because um, that's, that's the agreement that they came up with. Um, for FCA and FOB, insurance is really going to be a secondary part to the INCO terms because if the buyer is going to be responsible for getting insurance, the supplier, to be honest with you, the supplier doesn't really care. Uh, once the, the transfer of risk is, is onto the buyer, the supplier can wipe their hands, and if the cargo, you know, blows up once it gets onto the vessel, the uh, the supplier's already fulfilled their obligations. So um, it, it really depends on on the uh, the good, the importer, the value. Um, but in both situations, you know, you're you're traveling. You know, say for example, if you're shipping something from from Asia to the West Coast, those goods are going to be traveling, you know, eight to ten thousand miles on open ocean something can happen something has happened and if you're shipping you know say a million or two million dollars worth of goods in a container you know it's going to be up to the shipper whether or not they want to insure it but i'd certainly recommend it yeah and you know i get this cargo insurance is is a funny thing and i get this question all the time so um would you and i know you know forwarders offer cargo insurance um insurance companies offer offer cargo insurance and, and i get asked all the time so what would you suggest do you suggest to go with the forwarder for the cargo insurance or do you suggest to go with maybe an insurance company that you're already working with so a freight forwarding company is going to have a very good relationship with an insurance company that specializes in um, maritime insurance. So they're going to know all the rules, the regulations, and they're going to have the proper coverage. Um, so if you're a smaller shipper, getting something through a freight forwarder is going to be both economical and you know, offer a good amount of coverage depending on the different levels. Um, bigger shippers, though, they're going to go ahead and probably get something through their own insurance company um, or package that through, a, you know, a, a, a bank or get their own maritime insurance just so that their own, you know, their in, internal counsel can actually read over the contracts and make sure things are being covered on how they want. So, again, that's a really a, a specific situation onto, you know, the preferences and what's being shipped and the the level of uh, experience of the shippers. Yeah, and I guess um, making sure, you know, either way that you go that you're you're covered for all eventual all eventual all eventualities. Sorry. And hopefully it's not a Samsung product. Yeah. yeah, nothing will blow up that way. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, because anything can happen. I mean, we've seen that in the last couple of years that, you know, things that we never thought were going to happen, you know, i.e. the Hanjin bankruptcy, you know, the Tianjin port, um, lots of things can happen and we never know. And like you said, it's crossing a lot of distance, especially when it comes to ocean freight on the open water. And, you know, People don't realize, but if that vessel is over capacity and overweight and they hit a bad storm, you know, they might the, have the to pilot. Yeah, the, the captain of that ship could dump off any cargo that he seems fit, especially if it comes endangering his crew mm-hmm. and ship. Yeah. So Absolutely. so not only is cargo. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say insurance is also another thing to consider. Uh, when you're actually discussing these INCO terms, because if you're improperly using the INCO terms, it's very possible that your insurance company won't pay out a claim. So take, for example, this the, uh, the Tianjin port explosion, let's say. Let's say the buyer decided to go ahead and get cargo insurance, and they were using the term FOB in their insurance policy for a container. Well, we talked earlier about how FOB really isn't applicable to containers anymore. So an insurance company, theoretically, and I'm not saying this is what they will do, but theoretically they could look at it and say, well, wait a minute, your terms were were FOB, so we technically shouldn't be offering any kind of coverage until this good was on board the boat. The cargo blew up or was destroyed in the terminal before it got on the boat, before where the policy should have taken effect. Well, had had the buyer understood that FCA is the proper term they should be using, they would put FCA in their insurance policy being covered in the event that something happens at the terminal before the good is even loaded onto the vessel. Yeah, that's a really great sense. point. Yeah. Um, and so... The, so that also brings up uh, the difference that I wanted to, to mention, and this is another big thing, is the difference between the transfer of risk of loss between the difference of the transfer of title. Okay, so eco terms dictate where the risk of loss is going to take place, and that'll typically be wherever you say, okay, free to carrier, which means free to the terminal. So if anything... If anything happens prior to delivery at the terminal, say for example, if they loaded, you know, they load up the container and something happens on the freeway on the way to the port, um, the cargo blows up, it gets robbed, whatever the case is, the supplier is still responsible for the risk of loss until it gets to that named point. Okay. Now the transfer of title is different. Transfer of title can take place. Um, at any point, and this is this needs to be a separate clause from what the INCO terms dictate. Um, take, for example, an INCO term of FCA. Okay, risk of loss transfers to the buyer once the container is now delivered uh, to the terminal. However, the buyer may decide to still, or excuse me, the seller may decide to hold on to the title of the goods until the, the buyer sends payment. So, they cannot release title of goods if they don't want to, even until the goods have arrived at destination. If the buyer, if the buyer decides to delay payment, they're not going to have access to those goods until they fulfill whatever obligation, usually payment. So the transfer of title is different than the than the transfer of risk of loss. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And actually, we we are going to be getting into uh, letters of credit and uh, payment um, in some upcoming episodes. So I'm really glad that you brought that point up. Um, Is there just one more question on the cargo insurance? Do you think that there's ever any instance where you could be overinsured as far as far as cargo insurance? I know you said, you know, maybe underinsured or the insurance company wouldn't wouldn't pay on the claim because the inco term was incorrect. But just wondering if you could be overinsured, I guess, if if you don't get the inco term correct either. To be honest, I don't see any downside of being overinsured. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a good point. No, no, I hear. It. I, I actually got a couple questions. Um, my first one is, once when you have a shipment set up, let's say it's set up for uh, FOB, is there any way after the the vessel's already on its way to Canada or the U.S. wherever this vessel's going, is there any way to change those ankle terms midway through shipping? suppose there could be you'd ha- you'd have to have the consent of both parties but if something's already moving based on an agreement that was set up um, you know and there's also there'd also be limitations to what you could change it to I mean if it's already in route you obviously couldn't change it to X works which would dictate that the buyer pays for everything from origin to destination um, you may be able to say, oh, hey, shipper, I want you to pay for the duties and taxes and get it all the way to my door rather than just getting it up to the named terminal. Um, I suppose that they could do that. However, it would, it would definitely have an effect on the, uh, the price per unit. So I don't, I don't see anyone wanting to do that because mm-hmm. you'd have to go renegotiate all the pricing of the items that are being sold, too. Yeah, not only that, but I think it would create some issues with the bill of lading and possibly the AMS or the ACI over over an origin. It, it might like the only thing I, I just thought of that, like the only thing I've really seen in my customs background would be like a shipment uh, was not telex released. And then they make a deal overseas. And then the next day you come in and you get an email. Oh, we're all good to go. It's telex release. You could pick up the container and drop it off and do whatever you got to do. Yeah, so that's actually a perfect example of, of uh, basically them giving up the transfer of title. That telex release, they were holding that for some reason. They were either holding that for payment or they were holding that for a guarantee of payment or some other obligation. And then the shipper decided, okay, whatever that obligation is has been fulfilled or I trust that it will be fulfilled, so I'm going to go ahead and release this shipment. Um, and that's a perfect example of the transfer of title right there. All right. Awesome. So we're going to take the conversation um, just in a a little different direction here. But I want to ask you, where do you see shipping and supply chain in the next five to 10 years? And what are the challenges that you foresee? Well, so supply chain, what's supply chain? It's always moving towards getting the right quantity to the right place at the right time for the right price. Um, The world is definitely getting smaller every day. And I think that suppliers are going to need to continue to increase their quality, um, continue to innovate, and at the same time be able to decrease production and transit time to stay in business, as well as costs. Um, Businesses in general must have an omni-channel approach if they want to stay relevant. Um, Think about 10% of all consumer sales are online. 
And for a lot of companies, a lot of retail companies, that number is showing double-digit double digit annual growth. Um, today, over 50% of millennials first go to Amazon before going to a brick-and-mortar store. Uh, and for the first time, millennials actually have a more combined buying power than the, uh, the baby boomers. So in my opinion, the biggest shift in supply chain is actually going to be two-tiered. Uh, it's how the end customer is going to receive the product. And secondly, what is the level and speed of customization for you know, of those items that can be customized uh, that are going to be available to the consumers? Yeah, those are really great points. So then which top companies, I'm guessing maybe Amazon might be one of them, but which top companies or supply chain exec executives are you following to keep on top of, you know, info in the industry? So it's, it's kind of hard for me to say that I follow any one or two companies or people uh, simply because there's so much happening at such a quick pace. Um, the only way that I think it's possible to stay up to date on new innovation is to be active in supply chain communities. Um, for example, one of the organizations I belong to is called the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. Uh, this particular organization looks into advancing and educating supply chain community on on what's relevant and what's the most innovative practices in the in, uh, in the industry. Now, this particular group draws some of the top talent in supply chain from the top companies, not only in the USA but the world. So, think for example, Disney, think Intel, Nike, Amazon for sure is there. Uh, General Electric, um, Walmart is another big company that's investing. I, I would say probably billions in in their supply chain analytics. Uh, how they deal with their suppliers, how they deal with their vendors, making sure that they're, you know, they have the social and environmental responsibilities in place uh, to offer products to a consumer, that a consumer doesn't have to worry about, you know, where they came from or how they were produced as far as the working conditions of, of the individuals making that particular good. So, yeah, getting involved with different organizations, I think, is the only way to actually stay up to date with what what's happening because things change at such a rapid pace. Yeah, I love that you said that. I really think that communities are going to be or industry communities are going to be, you know, the place to be as we move forward. There's a lot of information available and and out there, but I, I think that relying on our peers and, and getting together with people within the same industry and, and talking about, you know, different challenges and, and different things that we're going through on a daily basis is really going to be key as, as we move into the future. So I just want to ask you and, and sort of round off the, uh, the interview, so what's next for Nick? So what's next for Nick? Uh, the position I'm in with uh, with my current company is, is still relatively new for me. Um, I've, only, I've been doing it since February, so it seems relatively new. But uh, my next goal, or my main goal, is to completely understand our company, um, revise, refine, working on streamline any kind of processes that we have, um, continuous improvement, uh, any kind of you know, lean implementations we can put into our company is something that uh, I myself and us as an organization are definitely working towards. Well, that sounds really exciting. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, Nick. And uh, we look forward to uh, following you and, and seeing the, the changes and, and the things, the exciting things that are happening for Hampton. Wonderful. Thank you very much for having me.
What an episode. Thanks to Nick from Hampton Products for coming on today's show. You can learn more about Nick and all our other guests and the Two Babes team at our website, twobabestalksupplychain.com. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. We would love to hear from you and any questions you have. If you have any hot topics or questions, send us an email at listener at twobabestalksupplychain.com. Next week's episode is going to be epic. We have Dawn, CEO from SIG University, sharing all her knowledge about sourcing industry and how the industry has gone from tactical to strategic advantage. That is all for today. See you next week. And just remember, people, ship happens. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorp.ca. That's I-C-E-C-O-R-P dot C-A. And check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you.